We're going to start in chapter 18, uh, 1 through 7, and then we'll jump to chapter 19. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehoshtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prepared, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. And we'll switch over to 19. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with a sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent uh, Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They, they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress or rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his mother, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled him, reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left uh, Lachish. Now the king heard some concerning Tirkah, king of Cush, behold, he has set out the fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the, of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard that the kings of Assyria have done to all, the, to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall, be, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozon, Haran, Rezup, and the people of Eden, who were Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God 
of Israel, enthroned above the uh, Herobim, you are the God, you are alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your, prayers, your prayer to me, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Good morning. Anyone here today find themselves in the midst of a trial? Anyone here today find himself in a state of uncertainty over a situation currently taking place? Okay. Anyone here wondering how your current situation, which looks bleak, it looks hopeless. Anyone here wondering how your bad news situation might be remedied, changed, transformed even into something good. Anybody? Some of you keep raising your hands. Anyone here leading in the home or workplace and needing a word from the Lord on what to do? Anyone here spiritually stuck and in need of some intervention from the Lord? Are you searching for something to fix your situation? Or are you relying and trusting in the God of heaven to minister in you and through you as he sees fit? Are you willing to allow God to minister, to, to discipline you if need be. Now, we don't like that word oftentimes when it's applied to us. But you see, God's discipline is that you might be conformed more into the image of his son. Do, do you see that God's discipline is for your prophet, church? That's what the Hebrew writer says. God's discipline is for your profit that you may be partakers of his holiness. I would venture to say that at least one of the questions that I've asked here up front relates to you. The text this morning is relevant. All of God's word is relevant, church. All of it. It's profitable. And it demands and deserves our undivided attention. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to ask of Him to provide the Word and to awaken us. Some of us literally need to be awakened. 
to awaken us to the truths found in this text. May we leave today changed, having been taught from the Lord Himself through the counsel of the Holy Spirit working in you. Or perhaps through the counsel of the Holy Spirit convicting you, depending on where you're at in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we come to you, the God of heaven, the creator, this God who we see in the scripture who shows himself strong through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the only true God, to the very creator of the heavens and the earth. We come this morning, God. Asking you to fill us with the knowledge of your will. With all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we might walk worthy of you. Fully pleasing you. Father God, I ask this morning that you would awaken us to the truths found in your word. That you would stir us up. And how to walk with Christ. Oh, Father, may it be truly said that we who profess the name of Jesus Christ would walk just as Christ himself walked. Father, I pray too, like Hezekiah, we'll see this morning, that we would hold fast to you in all things. Thank you, Lord, for this book of truth that you've provided for us in the scriptures. Impress upon us right now what you would have us to know. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention this morning, primarily verses 14 through 19 in chapter 19 of 2 Kings. But before we go in and dive a little deeper there, it's important to understand at least a little bit of what's going on in the text. One of the reasons I had... um, Sean read a portion of chapter 18. Um, for contextual, um, you'll be able to find 2 Chronicles 29 to 32 helpful. You'll also find Isaiah 37 helpful. There's some wonderful history here uh, behind what we're talking about this morning. The focus of our time primarily will be in 14 through 19. But back in chapter 18... We see that King Hezekiah is feeling the heat, if you will, of the Assyrian army. Beginning around 725 B.C., the Assyrians started routing the nation of Israel. Around three years later, 722, Israel's taken captive. Our text here that we're speaking of this morning takes place some six, seven years later after that. The Assyrian king comes up, the text says, to, against all the fortified cities of Judah. And he takes them. So the squeeze is coming, and, and Assyria is, is essentially knocking on the door of Jerusalem, ready to add yet another city to its collection of pillaged lands. You see, the king of Assyria, at this point, he sends three of his top aides 
to Hezekiah. And much of chapter 18 is devoted to the words of these men as they put forth uh, these intimidation, scare tactics toward Hezekiah and the people of Judah. And while there is some truth in what they're saying, the truth, it is true that Assyria at the time was dominating the landscape of the fertile Mediterranean. <laughs> if you look at a map in all the, the territories of Assyria, it looked quite intimidating. You see, Assyria at this time had built quite a name and quite a reputation. Well, three of Hezekiah's men, they returned to deliver the message that they had just heard. And they returned with their clothes torn upon hearing the message. And, and Hezekiah himself, it says in the text, he tore his clothes and he covered himself in sackcloth. And he went into the house of the Lord, chapter 19, verse 2. He then sends his three aides to the prophet Isaiah with a message. This message really is, is a request for prayer. Isaiah, please pray for us in light of this very real situation. In fact, look, if you will, in verses 3 through 5, chapter 19. They said to Isaiah, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet then passes along a word from the Lord to take back to Hezekiah. Look at verses 6 and 7. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Hold that because it's going to be instructive as we get to the end of the chapter and finish it this morning. The words of Isaiah prophesied, given to him by the Lord. For the purpose of Hezekiah. These are wonderful words. You know, as you read those words in verses 6 and 7, the word that comes to mind there is hope. If there was ever a time when Hezekiah needed a word of hope, it was right here. Do not be afraid is the message. That phrase, do not be afraid, we see that a lot in scripture, don't we? Oftentimes there's an angel showing up and saying it. Do not be afraid. Here we see this comes from the word of the Lord. Through the mouth of Isaiah, intended for Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not be afraid. You know, I was reminded of the psalmist in Psalm 56... Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? 
2 Kings 19, verse 9, says that the king of Assyria sends his messengers a second time back to Hezekiah. I want you to look at the message that they deliver. It's very similar to what they shared in chapter 18. So follow with me in verse 10. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Here's the message. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sabarvim, Hannah and Iva? Now, these names are somewhat unknown to us, but they're names of some of the kings of some of the nations that have been destroyed. Names of some of the gods, perhaps, that have been destroyed. This is the track record. They're putting forth the track record. Here's what we've done. Here's what we've accumulated. What makes you think your God is going to make any difference in all this? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. I want you to notice what Hezekiah does upon hearing the news from the Assyrian ambassadors. Look at verse 14. Hezekiah, this is a key verse right here in the text. And there's a, such a key principle here in the text that I want us to take hold of here this morning. Okay? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. Here it is. And he spread it before the Lord. He spread it before the Lord. Upon hearing the report from Isaiah, delivered by his three messengers, Hezekiah was given a word from the Lord. Remember that? Back in verses 6 and 7. I'd like to ask you a question. When you receive a word from the Lord, how do you typically respond to it? How do you respond to a word from the Lord that he gives you? When you read the pages of scripture and God speaks, by the way, how many of you know that God speaks through the pages of his scripture? Anybody know that? Okay, I think we need to be awakened to that truth. That when we open the word and we read the word, we ought to be expecting him to speak because this God we serve speaks even yet today. It's just a side note. See, the word from the Lord was do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. That was the word of the Lord. And here's Hezekiah. He's received the initial message from the Lord by way of Isaiah. And now he receives the latest update from his messengers. Verse 14. The second update from the messengers comes. I believe it comes on the heels of the thus says the Lord in verses 6 and 7. 
And this is a pivotal moment for Hezekiah in terms of what he's going to do, church. How he's going to proceed. How he's going to take action. He's been given a word of assurance and hope from the Lord. So how is he going to move forward in light of the word from the Lord? Church, in light of the word of the Lord before you, in light of what it says, in light of the God behind the word, how are you living right now? In the midst of whatever it is you're going through. Several of you raised your hands to some of the questions up front. How is it that you're living and operating and discerning in the midst of the situation you find yourself in right now today? Are you operating in such a manner that you do believe this God of the scriptures? I'm not talking intellectual knowledge. Many of you in here have some intellectual understanding of who God is. I'm talking about connecting your intellectual with your living. There's a difference. There's a big difference. Can God be trusted, church? I hope so. I hope we can say yes. And if so... How does your life, how does your decision-making reflect the very word of God? I'll look closely at what Hezekiah does, church. He takes the letter from the messengers and he goes to the house of the Lord. And in the house of the Lord, he spreads it. What's it? Well, the letter with all the threats and all the reproaches against his God, against his nation. He spreads it before the Lord. In what manner does he spread it before the Lord? Prayer. We talked about prayer last week. Matthew chapter 6. Remember 9 through 13. In this manner therefore pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What we have right here in 2 Kings 19. Is a real, effective, needful prayer coming out of the mouth of Hezekiah, rooted in a deep, abiding trust in who this God is to whom he prays. Now, last week, while the Lord gives the manner in which to pray, Matthew 6, there's something right here about Hezekiah's prayer that really arrested my attention as I'm I'm looking at this and studying this. I suppose it has something to do, perhaps a lot to do, with the real situation he finds himself in as he approaches the Lord in prayer. See, church, the Bible exhorts us to pray without ceasing, doesn't it? That's something we are to be doing. Elsewhere in Colossians, Paul says to devote yourselves to prayer. We see in Acts chapter 2, they were continuing steadfastly in prayers together. Sometimes, though, prayer might just seem like the right thing to do. And that's, I say that not necessarily a wrong thing or, or, or bad, but like opening the service with prayer, closing the service with prayer, starting your meeting with prayer, closing meeting with prayer. Good things to do. 
But those occasions for prayer are different than what I see right here in the text. Assyria is breathing threats of intimidation. They are pressing in. And Hezekiah, the king, needs to make a decision on behalf of the nation of Judah. I want to make sure you heard that. A king needs to make a critical decision regarding the state of the nation. Does this apply at all today? Do we not have a leader and leaders across this country who need insight on making decisions for these United States of America? Where does Hezekiah turn? Where does the king turn? He spreads the situation out before the Lord. Praise the Lord, he does this. He takes it to the Lord. What can we learn right here from Hezekiah's prayer? Let's, in the remainder of our time, let's look at this. Four things I want to share with you. The first one is this. Identify who God is. Verse 15. Identify who God is. We read verse 15. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, here's what he says, beginning of his prayer. O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. What do we see here? Well, we see, first of all, he points out that he is the Lord God of Israel. God of his people. God of Israel. Calls him by his name. Secondly, he's the one who dwells between the cherubim. And this was interesting. You know, as you turn to the Psalms, you see here in Psalm, at the beginning of chapter 80, the psalmist says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim. Shine forth. We also see back in, in the book of Exodus. This is a wonderful text. Gives us some insight into what Hezekiah perhaps is saying when he makes reference to the one who dwells between the cherubim. Exodus chapter 25. In Exodus chapter 25, I read verses 18 and 22. Given instruction on the ark of the testimony. And you shall make two cherubims of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Verse 22. Speaking of this place where the cherubim are, the mercy seat and the cherubim. He gets done describing the cherubim facing each other toward the mercy seat. He says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim, there they are. From between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony. What's he going to speak to them about? Listen to this. About everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You see, this God who speaks 
This was his place. This was his presence. Where he was speaking. And so Hezekiah is praying right up front here. He's identifying who God is. He's God of Israel. But he's also the one who dwells between the cherubim. One who speaks. The one who is present. He also says you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. I find this instructive because prior to his prayer. In that letter that he would have read from the messengers. He would have seen all these gods and all the names of the cities that have been destroyed and been reminded that there is no other God besides you, God. You are God alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. A declaration that he is the only true God. And what else does he say in verse 15? He says, you have made heaven and earth. You see, this God to whom we pray is also the creator of God. He is over all things. Church, it's important in our prayer that we too identify who God is. Let me give you an action point. Let me give you a question to consider here with each of these. I believe the action point here in our prayer is that we dwell first and foremost upon the character of God. Who is God? question perhaps is maybe for some for an exercise for, for you to consider down the road maybe something to do together as a family but ask where are you drawn in the scriptures when you recall the character of God and you know I'm reminded of Matthew 6 verse 9 in that prayer when he says oh our father in heaven hallowed be your name respected revered hallowed be your name that's right up front in the prayer I was reminded of the hymn Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing, what? His wonderful love, our shield, and our defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. You see, there's a descriptor, several in that particular stanza. Talk about who this God is. Now, you might ask the question, what's the significance of identifying God first in your prayer? Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Hezekiah goes on in his prayer. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib. By the way, he is the king of Assyria. Sennacherib. Which he has sent to reproach the living God. So, first and foremost, identify who God is. Secondly, ask in light of who God is. Ask in light of who God is. So the action step here being asking with confidence in God. Church, we can ask with confidence in light of who God is. And perhaps a question to consider here is, is your prayer in accordance to God's will? 1 John 5, 14 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything, here's a, here's a key phrase, according to his will. Let's not leave that phrase out. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Romans 12, verse 2. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? For what purpose? For what end? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In that familiar passage in Colossians chapter 1, calls us to to ask that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In order that we may walk worthy of the Lord. Doesn't it make sense to ask Him for His will that we might then walk in accordance to His purposes? Walk worthy, fully pleasing Him. When you pray to your Father in heaven dwelling first upon who he is, his nature, his character. You're asking then is rooted and grounded in his strength. It's rooted and grounded in what he can do. And when you see the testimony of scripture, you recognize that this God of heaven and earth can do all things, right? All things are possible with God. Do you believe that? How often do you send up a petition to God without even recognizing who he is? Is your mind so focused upon your need that you fail to remember the God to whom you pray? And this leads us really to the third instructive aspect of Hezekiah's prayer. Look at verses 17 and 18. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. All right, so identify who God is. Ask in light of who God is. And then right here, I see Hezekiah doing this. He's, he's spreading the facts before the Lord. The facts. Here are the facts. What are the facts? Well, look at the record. He's just praying. Here's what Assyria's done. Here's what, they're, here's what they've been doing. He's, he's just laying that before the Lord. The action step here is for us to also cast our cares upon the Lord. The very real things in our life, we're to be casting those things upon the Lord. And the question is, do you allow the reality of your situation to overshadow this God to whom you pray? In other words, are you so focused upon your situation, your particular trial, all you're seeing is the trial, and you are missing the God of heaven? Church, we must not miss the God of heaven. This God who alone is going to provide you strength to get through your trial, to get through your situation. That's why I love the psalmist in Psalm 23. In particular, the words. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not standing in the valley. I go through the valley. You're riding your staff. You're with me. You comfort me. This, I believe, is instructive right here. Just spreading the facts before the Lord. 
And you know what? There are some, as we think about casting our cares, the word calls us to do that very thing. In Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, right? Peter says, therefore, humble yourselves under, under the mighty hand of God. Under. You know what? There are a lot of us today, and I'm going to say a lot of us in Christ today, who have no desire, think not at all about humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God. They've said yes to God, but they're walking however they want to walk. They're walking just like the world walks. There's really no difference operationally. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. You know what? I love that phrase. That he may exalt you in due time. Not in your time, in his time. In his due time. When he thinks it's the right time. Casting all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Did you hear that? He cares for you. Look at some of these. I got, there's three. There's, there's more. But I just want to share three that I believe are, are so helpful right here as we think about our own prayer. Casting our prayers before the Lord, spreading the facts out before God. In John chapter 5, 8 and 9, you remember the story, right? There, there, there's, there's a lot of people, and they need to get fed. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Look, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Well, here are the facts. Lord, here's what we've got. We've got some fish. And we've got some bread, but what are they among so many? I want you to think about that. Hold that. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 2, we see the story of Elisha and the Shunammite. And the question comes to the woman, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. That's the reality. Those are the facts. That's, just, that's it. That, that, that's the facts. I have, that's all I've got is a jar of oil. Do you remember how far that jar of oil goes? Do you remember how far the, that bread and fish goes? Or what about this one in Genesis 18? Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also being old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Surely I shall bear a child since I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You see, the facts were, she was thinking about her age, thinking about how old she was, how old Abraham was. That was the facts. Can God do something with those facts? He sure can. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the question, church. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Your answer to that question goes a long way to your understanding of who the God of Scripture is. Question. Where is your faith? Do you believe Him or do you not believe Him? Do you trust in who He is as defined by the Scriptures? If He is a faithful God... How does that provide hope and comfort and assurance to you as you approach his throne of grace in your time of need? 
Are the facts of your real situation clouding the vision of the great and mighty God that you serve? Some of you in here testify, I've got a trial. I'm right in the midst of a trial. I'm in the midst of a hard time right now. I'm I'm spiritually stuck right now. Whatever the case may be for you. We serve a God who desires that you cast your cares upon him. That you spread the facts out before him. These facts he knows. But you see, a good portion of what we're doing as we are praying to this God under whom we submit ourselves. Is we are showing our dependency, our need for God. Instead of doing it our own way. Are you depending upon God? For whatever it is you're going through right now? Is he the one that you're holding on to? Hezekiah, the text says, held fast to the Lord. That's a description of Hezekiah in his life. Did he do it perfectly? No, he didn't. But what a wonderful example, especially as a king. He held fast to the Lord. You know, I'm reminded as uh, just before we leave this third portion of the prayer. You remember the story of Daniel? Familiar story. In Daniel chapter 3. They're getting ready to be tossed into the fiery furnace. Remember that? The last thing that the king says here is, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Who is it? Tell me. Who is the God who is going to deliver you from my hands? 16, 17, and 18 are just wonderful verses. Instructive in so many ways. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able. Those are two important words, is able. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, our God is able, but if not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I love the the declaration of this trust in God, whom they serve. Church, that ought to be representative of us as well, those of us who walk in Christ Jesus. Look finally at how Hezekiah concludes his prayer. Verse 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand. That's Sennacherib, his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. So identifying who God is, asking in light of who God is, spreading the facts out before the Lord. Here's the situation. And trusting in God that God understands and sees the facts. And God can take the facts and he can do this. He can turn them upside down and he can make it happen. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Right here we see in verse 19, it's a motive check. It's a motive check. As we pray, I believe this this last part of Hezekiah's prayer is a motive check before God. And the question for us, is this a God-centered prayer that we are praying, that we are lifting up to our Lord? Is this a God-centered prayer? The action here is, is that we would ask with right motives in our prayers. 
John 15, 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The key, the preface there is abiding in him and his words abiding in you. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You're asking with wrong motives. In a few weeks we'll get to Kings 18. And we're going to hear this cry of Elijah. But for now as it fits here. I bring it up as Elijah prays. In Kings 18.37 he says hear me O Lord hear me. Why? Why does he want God to hear him? The text answers the question. That this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. You see in verse 19, when you look at the text, his prayer. Oh Lord, I pray, save us from his hand. Why? What's the motive? What's behind the scenes? That all the king... Is is there something in there for Hezekiah? I don't see it. The motive is that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God. You alone. That's the motive. What's on the other side of the prayer? Look at verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me. Now, just pause right there. The text doesn't necessarily here in Kings give us a full picture of how Isaiah knew that Hezekiah prayed. Somehow, someway, Isaiah found out that Hezekiah was praying. Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Look at those last three words. I have heard. Because you have prayed to me. I have heard. Church, I believe it's instructive for us that we take our situations to the Lord first. Sometimes, sometimes, are we not prone to take our situations to some other source? You know, there's a wonderful tool called the internet. And it it is truly, it can be a wonderful tool. It can also be a snare. If the first place you go happens to be the internet to find out about something. You got a situation, you're going to go to the internet first. How about let's practice the principle spoken of here. Let's spread it before the Lord. And ask of him. See, because question comes, and you're thinking about this, are, are you praying to God and, and still at the same time trying to orchestrate things by yourself? Do you pray instead with a complete submission to what God may desire for your life? Has it dawned on you that perhaps what God wants for your life is something different than maybe what you thought? 
and I'll take a step further. Are you okay with God desiring something different for your life than what you perhaps thought your life was going to be about? Are you okay with that? Do you trust him? Do you pray with an understanding that God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than yours and that what he sees best ought to be received with joy because God's the one who sees this big picture. I find it a blessing to hear those words, to see those words in the text of verse 20. I have heard. I have heard. And you know what? I have heard doesn't necessarily mean things are going to work out just as you like. But they're going to work out for God's good to those who are the called according to his purpose, right? Romans 8, 28. Let's read the conclusion of the matter and we'll be done. Verses 32 through 37. This is... In 32 through 34, this is the conclusion of the word from the Lord given to Isaiah, passed on to Hezekiah. Listen to this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, verse 32. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there. Not one arrow. He's not going to be shooting any arrows here. It looks bad. It looks hopeless. Hezekiah, let me tell you what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Thus says the Lord. He's not coming into this city. He's not going to shoot any arrows, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Isn't that great? That's the word of the Lord. Look at the very next verse. And it came to pass... On a certain night. Now, before we keep reading in 35, I want you to also just glance over at chapter 19, 6 and 7. Especially verse 7. Because right there is the prophecy given by Isaiah intended for Hezekiah. There's a connect point here. Verse 35. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. That's a lot. 185,000. God did that. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses. All dead. That's generally what corpses are. They're all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away. Returned home. That was prophesied. He was going to leave. And remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he... It came to pass... It came to pass. In other words, what had been prophesied is now happening. Here, here, it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his God, which truly is no God at all, <clears throat> that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezar, struck him down with the sword. Is that what was prophesied in verse 7? I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Make matters worse, the sword came by way of his sons. The very thing prophesied by Isaiah in 6 and 7 comes to pass at the end of chapter 19. Church, let's this morning, let's identify 
who this God is. Let's ask then in light of who this God is. And let's spread the facts out before him, understanding, no, we don't just have some, some bread and some fish. We don't just have one jar of oil. Right? We can keep going through the list of scripture. We don't just have, we have a God who can take that stuff and he can turn it upside down and he can make it happen for his cause, for his purpose. There is nothing too hard for this Lord, this God that we serve. Amen? Nothing too hard for him. We also need to check our motives in our prayer. Check our motives. Why are we praying this? What's behind this? Are we being selfish in our prayers? Or is this for the Lord's glory? Is this for the Lord's honor? Is this for the Lord's name to be exalted among the nations? You see, church, God is the one who can take your hopeless situation and provide hope. He's faithful. He's true. He is our king. That's what we've been reading about in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The king is giving his marching orders. He is our king. Will you trust him this morning? Will you go to him believing in his name? Will you make it a pattern in the coming year? I believe this is a text that's going to be instructive for us the entire year. Will you make it a pattern in the coming year to spread all things out before this great and mighty God? I want to remind you, church, that this God who acted and moved on behalf of Hezekiah is the same God still today acting and moving on behalf of his people. The same God who desires to act and move in your circumstance. And that's good news. Let's pray. Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. The one who is God alone among all the kingdoms of the earth. Our creator God. To you I pray here this morning. In light of what your word has just spoken to us. Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would apply the truths learned this morning. Apply them to us, Lord. Remind us of these truths always. Show us, I pray, the significance of how we are to pray, why we're to pray, the benefits of prayer as you've given to them in your word. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to, first and foremost, identify and spend time dwelling upon the character who you are, your nature, all that you've done. Because, Lord, then our asking when it does come, when we petition you for something, and it's rooted and grounded in identifying who you are. Oh, Lord, our ask, our, our, the things we ask you for, they, they just seem so small. They seem so insignificant in light of your greatness, in light of your majesty. But, Father, I pray that we would root and ground them in that understanding of who you are. And then, Father, I pray that we would pray in faith, understanding that you are God who takes the impossible and makes it possible. That we would lay the facts, the situations right before you and allow you to do what you desire to be done. 
Father, may we rejoice in what you do. Father, finally, I pray that we would be motivated by your glory, by your honor, that your name would be highly exalted, that as we pray and petition you, Father, we would do so with right motives. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would keep us from selfishness in our prayers. Instead, Father, I pray that the petitions and prayers we offer up to you, oh, Lord, are are given to you with the understanding that we desire, we truly desire, our heart's desire is that all might come to know the Lord, is that all would come to know and see that, Lord, even in our lives and in the works that we would do, that people would see those works and praise you, that it would all be about and all come back to you. For, Lord, that's why we're here. We're here to give you glory. We're here to give you honor and praise. And so, Lord, I pray that in our prayers, we would do that very same thing. Thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Oh, Father, it's in the name of this Jesus that we pray. Amen.